HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief with your hosts, Sara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. On this show, we're going to really explore where grief and food intersect, how they go hand in hand, different people's experiences with their specific traumas and how food played a part from the beginning to the end of that experience. And how as individuals, we uniquely process life's traumas and losses through either the longing for, the creating of, the avoiding of, the obsessing over, and the eating of food. I remember right after Michael died, I still miss him, but I missed him so badly that night that I stopped at the convenience store on the corner and I bought a container of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia. It's too sweet, you know, it's too everything. And I went home with it and I took it to bed and I thought to myself, gee, so this is my first menage a trois after Michael's death. <laughs> Me, Ben, and Jerry. And I ate the entire thing. What do you think your relationship to food was during times of crisis? I think that um, my sister and I use food to reward ourselves. I wish I had something more no, interesting to say, but definitely like spaghetti and meatballs and chocolate cake. <laughs> my mom still can't eat rugula. It makes her too sad. I've also experienced a lot of loss, as has Bobby. And I think we really wanted to find a way where we could like work together. There's something that feels very compelling about doing a project with you, Mom, um, as just kind of a missing piece in life and just something we've always wanted to do but not known quite how. can't think of anything better myself. I think that, I mean, any conversation about grief, I think, prepares everyone for grief because there are so few conversations about grief. It's why I think that yes. what you guys are doing is so important. <laughs> I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, 
I am happy to have Melissa Connor on the show. She is a publicist and a strategic thinker with 12 years of industry experience. As a partner at Jennifer Breck Communications, Melissa oversees overall brand strategy, positioning, and execution for emerging, fast-growing companies, including Andy, Coco Kind, Hatch, Magic Spoon, Recess, Parachute, and The Riveter. And I had to like want, like narrow that down as best as I could because there are a lot of like very cool brands in your, uh, I guess. What do you call it? Your we call it our ecosystem, our community. Yeah, not your Any, barn. Anything you don't but, call it the barn. No, no. Yeah. anything but a roster. <laughs> not a roster. Um, so welcome, thank you Melissa. very much. I'm so happy you're here. Um, I think this is going to be a really fun one because we were just talking before the show, and I, I, you know, everyone knows I do a little research, obviously, hopefully before we meet on air. Um, but I feel like you guys are doing something really interesting. You have a lot of different brands and a lot of different sectors. It feels to me like you are very focused on the, the individual brand as opposed to like a playbook um, of this is how you get as many people to know about you as possible, as you know, fast as possible. So I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation, and I'm thrilled you're yeah, here. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Um, a little bit of background on you, where you grew up. Were you always, I feel like people that go into marketing and communications and PR and all of that sort of world knew from an early age that they had a certain type of personality or you're not an introvert is what I'm getting at. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so where did you grow up? What were you like? Yeah, Do you remember what you wanted to be when you were nine or 10? Sure. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Connecticut, so not very far away from the city. Um, and when I was younger, I wanted to be a doctor for a oh. really long time. Okay. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't even know the reason. I right. think maybe I encounter. I loved my pediatrician, maybe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but definitely a job that is high stress. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you a science I, person? Yeah, I was. Cool. Yeah, I loved science class. Um, it, it was one of my favorites. Didn't love math though. Right. You know. I, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I love people, and I've always loved interacting with people. I'm very social. I was on every sports team. Right. I did every community group I could. Right. Um, you know, and I, anything that also had leadership role opportunities yep. in school. And I, I always you're was seeking an those out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know your Myers Briggs? I believe you're right. Yeah. I, you seem, I am yeah. an ENFJ, yeah. and I feel like we spot each other a little yeah. bit from across the room. So it's sort of yeah. funny. Yeah. And I always had, my mom will say this, in a, and I agree that I always had a little bit of an older soul mm-hmm. or a level of maturity a little bit beyond my years. Um, and even now I, I say I'm like, you know, a hundred years old because right. I'm happy staying home on a Saturday night and yeah. reading and hanging out with my husband and my kid. But, um, I think it wasn't until I went to college, for some reason, there was something inside of me that said, you have to go to New York City. Mm-hmm. It, we didn't, even though we were so close, we didn't spend a ton of time right. in the city. When you grow up in Connecticut, you're deep in the suburbs. That's kind of your life. Yep. But there was something that said you have to go there. So So did you come here for college? Yeah, I went to Fordham. Okay. I had the best experience. It was amazing. I highly recommend it as a school. And I knew I wanted to work in fashion, but I had no idea what I wanted to do in fashion. I didn't right. know what it meant. Right. So somehow when I was looking at internships my freshman or sophomore year, 
there was an opportunity to either go to a magazine. At that time, it was one of the bridal books that no longer exists. Right. Um, or this small boutique PR agency. And I uh-huh. had no idea what PR was. Um, and it literally came down to one was paying and one wasn't. Right. Um, so I think it's a little bit of fate that I ended up where I ended up because the minute I got there week one, I was like, this is what I want to do. And what was it? I mean, was it like, what did you tap into that made you, that gave you that feeling? Do you remember kind of? Yeah, it was a combination of things. Yeah. It was the people there. They, there are four of them that are still my friends today. Right. So this is 15 years right. later. Um, they are mentors. They're my best friends. And they showed me what PR meant. Right. What, what was it? Um, and they each have their own unique personality and expertise and capabilities that I saw in all of them. And right. I said, this is such a dynamic job that you don't have to be a doctor. You have to be kind of, you yeah, have to have a specific skill yep. set, right? Mm-hmm. This one was, if you bring something special, unique to the table on top of being super articulate and right. passionate, then you can do a really great job. That and then the brands, being able to interact with product and brands, then combining that with interacting with media. I'm like, this yeah. job is packed with experiences and interaction and I'm someone who needs to be highly um, motivated and uh, highly engaged there has to be a lot going on at once for me to feel really uh, fulfilled so and do you I mean do you feel like when you obviously that was your first job you were still in college but along the path of your career you know, I, I didn't really understand sort of the breakdown of PR mm-hmm. for a while. I kind of understand it now in my own way. I don't know that this is accurate in any way, but I sort of think of like, there's, you know, there's I mean, communications and mm-hmm. then there's media relations and there's internal sort of like how, you know, there's mm-hmm. like earned and organic and there's, you know, there are different sort of pieces yeah. of it. And w- did you click with the relations with the media part the Absolutely. most? And that was sort of like what, what happened in the next several years of your career? I've been doing PR for 13, 14 something years Mm -hmm. and I still get excited every time a story is confirmed, whether it's me or anyone on my team and we physically see it happen. That that thrill has never gone away. Um, And when I was an intern, the reason why this was such a unique experience and one that really changed my life was that as an intern, they were letting me pitch. Right. And I was talking to closet assistants and editorial assistants and um you know they saw something in me that they allowed me that freedom and right. I was getting my own placements while Amazing. still in college That's granted huge. you know it was a product placement but still no you because know? usually it's like you're the one filing the thing into you know they didn't have Dropbox then but you know, you're like right. clipping oh yeah <laughs> like physically clip, clipping right. and making books and printing out the request sheet it, yeah right. it was it was fun. <laughs> so tell me about how you ended up where you are and doing what you're doing. Yeah. So after that internship, I went to another agency, um, HL Group, um, and it was boot camp for kind of a level up of PR right. around a lot of different brands. And that's when I worked with Tom's as they were launching into the market, yeah. um, which was career changing in hindsight. I didn't realize yeah, sure. how much it would affect what I'm doing now then. Yeah. Uh, but also working with huge brands like David Yurman and Dolce & Gabbana and, right. and really understanding the dynamic between a young brand like Tom's and then big global brands with huge advertising budgets. Right. Um, there's a there's a, a very different way of uh, of handling those brands and doing yeah. PR around them um, that, again, I didn't really recognize until later right. in my career. 
Um, but I had, a, I had an amazing experience there. Went to another agency that focused a little bit more on a lot of different services that kind of intertwine between celebrity engagement, event production, right. with a PR arm. Um, and that's actually where I met Jen. Right. Um, and that was great. It was, I met her, I was like, this is, and, and to, to take a step back, Jen is the founder of Jennifer Beck Communications and my business partner. Um, I met her and I said, "This she's amazing. I'm so excited to work with her. And then when I get there, she said, oh, I put in my two weeks, by the way, or my two months or whatever <laughs> right, it was. Right, right. And so we just kind of always knew we'd work together again. We right. didn't know how, when, where. We just always stayed in touch. We both kind of, from that agency, went in-house to brands. Right. I think it's really important for publicists to know yeah. that dynamic. Oh, I want to get, we're, we're going to go to that in a at some point to the in-house versus Yeah, agency. you get a really, really unique perspective, especially if you're returning back to agency. Right. Um, that I think is invaluable to understand how it is to be the client, but then also understand in a much more intimate way the inner workings of a brand, how each right. department interacts, how if they are a brand that wholesales, how that team, sales team works against the, t- the store sales team yep. and all, you know, there's yep. just so much to know and... I think really important um, and a, a level of experience that we're really happy we have right. now in this endeavor. Um, but about six years ago, we were both massively bored with PR. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think we knew it was what we were great at, but we were not feeling like there there was that PR was changing or evolving. Mm-hmm. This is when all of these great digitally native brands were popping up. Right. And there really was no place for them to go right. from a PR perspective. Right. Um, if you, at that time, were a brand like that, it was either go to a corporate comms agency to right. address your business or go to your lifestyle PR agency. It also seems, and again, that I'm kind of ahead of my skis here. Yeah. So, yeah. But, so, but it feels to me like a Warby, for example. Sure. Right? Like that era of brands, those first sort of like, we're taking out the middleman. We are going to be, mm-hmm. you know, disrupting this entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there was also a little bit of like, and who needs those people that are in between us and the world, right? Like, while they were taking out the middleman in the sales mm-hmm. area, I feel like there was a little bit of taking out the middleman in the communications area, too. I think they were asking the me. question, right? For like, sure. starting to seemed, challenge it. It seems like there were a few years where people. It's almost like it's almost like everything else. Like we don't need to hire a photographer because now we have these phones. We don't mm-hmm. need to hire copy writers because we're going to tell the story. Yeah. For a few years, everyone thought they could disrupt everything. Yep. And now I think people are starting to come back and realize, you know what? There are professionals that have been doing this for a decade plus. They're probably going to do better photos. Right. They're probably going to do a better job with like brand position. They're probably going to, and they're starting, sure. I feel like, to open and up I would, again. I would argue, though, that PR kind of deserved it at yeah, that time. I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, there it was that same playbook being used over and over and over again for any brand. Didn't matter what they did, right. didn't matter what they were bringing to market. There wasn't a ton of creativity. Right. It was, yeah. let's do the same thing over and over again. We'll copy and paste our strategies and replace the brand. Yep. Um, and that didn't work. So in a way, the industry deserved it, and that's I get it. And that's and luckily we had our eyes open to it yep. uh, because we didn't want to go back to doing that playbook over and over again. Right. We knew that she and I are too um, much of busybodies to only work on one brand and be in house. Yep. So we knew we wanted 
a collective of brands that we believed in and were super excited about. And and that's when I remembered my experience with Tom's and how mm-hmm. passionate I was about it. And, and I was like, I sat down, I was thinking like, what it was it? Yeah. Obviously it was a, a really passionate founder who right. had unique stories to tell and, right. and um, a really interesting business model a great brand, a great product, um, but also the desire for the brand to be more than just the brand and you be used as a platform for something else, some right. other conversation, right? And obviously around Tom's, the bigger conversation was right. brands should act more responsibly and have more of a focus around whatever it is, sustainability, giving back, right. adding value to the world, whatever. Just something. Um so that's what that's what we just decided to start working together. We both had started independent careers, freelancing, consulting with a lot of brands, and realized we should do things together. Yeah. Uh, and realized we had something. We we're like we can give people a higher level of service, so more senior talent, um, because they were working with us directly and right. getting a lot out of it outside of just the stories. You know, we had seen and done a lot. Yeah. So now you're getting. You know, we're kind of like advisors. Right. Um, the way you would pull any other advisor right. group together. You want different perspectives. Um, you're getting great results. And we were just feeling really good about the brands we were working with. And it, it kind of, honestly, we never said we're going to start an agency to do X, Y, Z. It kind of right. naturally happened. Yep. Where we realized this is how we're differentiating. And this is how we're going to be different and and rewrite the rules of what PR today should be. And let's talk a little bit about what PR today should be. I yes. mean... I've sort of, in my notes, kind of broken it into, you know, there's, and fill in the gaps, right? Like, so I'm thinking just about me for Mm -hmm. a second and my brand. We have our events, Mm -hmm. right? We have media relationships, both sort of print and digital. We have digital content, both organic, like our Instagram, and also those like paid ads. We have influencer slash ambassador marketing. We can talk about that. Um, there's a little bit, I think today that a founder, and I, I struggle with this a little bit, um, that a founder has to be more than just the founder. The founder has to sort of be a a quote unquote thought leader Mm -hmm. in something. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I feel like they stretch that a bit, uh, you know, I agree. Um, but there is that. Um, and then what are the other, like, do you have sort of other thoughts on like PR today. Like it's not just, I'm going to call my friend at glamor and she's going to do a thing about what's in my bag. Right. Like it's, it's much more holistic. It's definitely much more holistic when you think about your communication strategy, this we, and it's, I want to even take away the word PR in a sense where it's storytelling is at the core of how we believe you can grow and scale your business. And all those functions you mentioned all serve that objective of storytelling around your brand. Right. Yeah. Um, Media relations is one chunk of that, and that's what we specialize in and um, and creating thought leaders. So those two right. hand in hand is really what we've built our business on uh, because we know if you do that really well, right, everything else you do is gonna is gonna happen right. well. You can repurpose all of that for social, yep. for all of your digital content on your own website, your own blogs. Yep. You can repurpose it as ads. Yep. So now all of the, whatever the investment is in that, that core service right. is now scaled and now become very efficient. Yeah. Um, instead of the incurring the cost of 
producing shoots and right. all those things. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be doing those things, right. but if if you are doing all of those other functions you mentioned and not doing the media relations and thought leadership well. It kind of fuds. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't built the brand. You yeah. haven't built a story. You haven't built something that a consumer is going to latch on to and right. become your advocate and that person out there who is convincing their friends right. to buy consume whatever right whatever interaction it is you want them to that do you with want. your brand yep okay i think this is a really good time to take a little break we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to dig in because we're going to hopefully get everyone to a place where they feel like they're going to know a little bit more about doing some media relations on their own how to think about telling their story all of the tips and tricks that you have to offer so we'll be right back This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. I'm back with Melissa Connor, Managing Director and Partner at Jennifer Bett Communications. Okay, let's talk about this um, media uh, relations piece. Mm-hmm. So I, um, as you know, I don't have PR. We talked about this. Mm-hmm. I am going to be nationally available in April. Until now, I've been in like between zero <laughs> and 22 <laughs> states. I've sort of been like... I'm not going to even try, really, because, A, I'm not in all 50 states. I don't want to, like, use any chips that I could potentially use later. I kind of want to build up brand and, like, get things kinked, you know, get the kinks out. Um, But in April, I'm going to hit the ground running. And my plan has been, you know, pitch um, Mm -hmm. kind of myself. And... I know that, you know, you're, you're smiling because I think that that's probably a rather naive plan. (laughs) Um, but like many of the other founders out there, I just don't, I don't have six to $15,000 a month to spend on this, Mm -hmm. which I gather is sort of the range. It's a a fair range. Yes. So before we're quite ready, if you were me and you were starting a cookie brand tomorrow mm-hmm. and you decided, you know, I'm done with media relations, I want to make this cookie, what would be the first three to five things that you would do as a founder to get your story tight, to reach out? Mm-hmm. Like, how would you go about yeah. creating your own little media relations strategy? Yeah, and, and this 
this is what we do also with every brand we work with before we, it doesn't matter if they're pre-launch, they've been in market a year or a day. Right. First you sit down in the room and you just write a stream of consciousness of who you are. What is this brand? What are your differentiators? What makes you unique? Why would your consumer choose you over the competition? That's like, I think our third or fourth question on our intake questionnaire with our um, new partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do that almost in a silo. Don't think about the market. Don't think about what sounds interesting, what's going to make you seem cooler. It has to really be from a genuine place. Right. So you can understand, then you can go back and unpack it. Right. Um, and you have to say, and we always kind of break it down into like, what's the overarching thing that makes us, that is our statement. So if it, if that's all someone is going to write in anything, what is it? Right. Melissa's cookies is whatever. Right. Um, and choosing that thing, right? So let's use, again, mm-hmm. you know, we're a cooking school that developed these sauces because we want cooking to be easy because it's good for you and good for the environment. Those sauces, we could say they are, you know, they taste like homemade. We could say they're vegan and gluten-free we mm-hmm. could say they come from a teaching kitchen we could say they make it super easy we you know they're how do you choose I mean I'm assuming they're all yeah. relevant but if you have to get it down I think so much of us have a hard time especially founders because we love our mm-hmm. baby so much like how do you say my baby is blank you know you want to say my baby is the most amazing baby in the world <laughs> it's like got all these you know yeah. and, and so narrowing it down how would you approach that? Um, we approach it by writing the long version, which typically is like seven or eight sentences right. per brand, okay, right? Great. Uh, and then we go down and say, how do we get this down to three? Right. Uh, and that is a process. That's when you start soul searching of what really is important around right. this brand that people have to know every time they interact with the brand right. and media. Okay, that's a great. Um, you know, in when it comes to cooking right now, People want easy, you know, something excessively priced, but they want clean, fresh, real ingredients. Right. Focus there. People outside of New York might not know what a teaching kitchen is. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that's something that we'd say, that's where we're going to lean into in certain publications or certain messages. That's probably a supporting message. The cooking school isn't necessarily right. 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 So... So that's probably how we would unpack that and create that overarching match that's there and then move everything else to supporting. That's what you write in the, you would want them to write in the rest of the story right. if they have more space for you, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and if they didn't, you have to be happy with overarching. So you have to make sure you get that right. That's so, the first right. thing you do. And you, and you do that. The second thing you do is then look at your competition. Right. I always say uh, the biggest mistake founders make is, is chasing or worrying too much about what everyone else is doing. And instead of focusing on the brand, because I think it is your baby, right? You're right. so focused on success and doing well that you're always looking outward. And I think sometimes working a little bit with a blinder on is actually to the benefit of that brand. Well, let's talk for a second because, you know, I know that Magic Spoon is one of your, mm-hmm. one of your what do we call them? Partner. We your, call them partners. In, in one of your partners. And so similar, I mean, obviously they're different in a lot of ways, but they are reinventing a category mm-hmm. in, in the same way that we are. Yeah. So 
How do you think about competition? There are no other fresh sauces in squeezy pouches in the, you know, in the refrigerated yeah. set. Well, that, that's not who you're competing with. You're competing with the glass jars on the shelves. Right. Right? You're competing with that huge aisle of yep. in the center seven of the store. different yep. brands that each have 11 SKUs yep. that you have to change people's behavior to not go into that aisle and right. to go to a completely different section for yep. sauce, you yep. know? Yep. So that is a really... Changing consumer behavior is really hard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, it no is, one buys right. cereal online, right. yeah. and that's where Magic Spoon wants you to buy it. Um, so, and they are, you yeah. know, and I think, and that one hundred percent comes from. Obviously, they created a brand that is eye catching. It's exciting. There's a category that's completely tired, right. and they brought something new to it—a new formulation, new flavor profile. Yep. But they have con- they've kept the nostalgia and the good right. feeling that people had about cereal. Right. Um, and luckily, and they're doing it obviously in a marketplace where people are happy to buy almost anything online. Right. When you're changing physical in real life behavior, that's yep. even harder. That's yep. harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> which I'm sure you obviously know that. Well, it's funny because you know. I know it now. I mean, it was so obvious to me that, you know, that that this is how people will be buying sauce. Mm-hmm. Why would people buy shelf-stable things in gunky jars that, you know, are one flavor profile mm-hmm. or, like, from one, you know, why wouldn't they want a chimichurri one night and, like, a coconut lemongrass yeah. the next night? And, a, you know, and, I mean, it's working, you know, thank goodness. But I didn't. I didn't quite know how, I just didn't really understand how, you know, you have a brand on a supermarket shelf and you think everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, what is that? Right. I'm going to use that now every night. But people don't even see it unless yeah. you call attention to right. it. And I don't think the consumer uses the, gro- unless you're my husband who mm-hmm. literally goes to the grocery store for fun. Right. But it's, he's also in the business, but he literally like goes up and down every aisle and yeah. looks at things to discover. He's the 0.01% of people who use the grocery store for discovery. For discovery, right. People are going to the grocery store because it's an errand they to get to it get over. They need. yeah. So in a situation like yours and, the, and when you're trying to change that behavior, you have to get the consumer to know about who you are and, and know before they even get to the grocery right. store. Which goes back to one of the things I read that you know was on your website was just that's where that media piece comes in. Exactly. And that's where, you know, and I'm curious if you, so going back to sort of, you know, the steps, um, do you think very differently about a direct-to-consumer brand and a brand that has primarily sort of, you know, wholesale or grocery distribution in the way that you tell the stories? Yeah, um, I would say yes and no in the sense that, for brands that are, we rarely work with brands that are only distributed right. via third parties, a wholesaler. We yep. usually always work with brands that at least have their own home. But we, I say that not because we believe in direct-to-consumer is the best way. We actually believe in multi-channel yeah. we distribution is everything. important. You yeah. need to be in physical retail. You need to do partnerships with like-minded brands. You need to be online and you need to be you know, yeah. I believe in doing that diversity, yep. that mix. Um, but for f- a great example is Airco, um, which is a carbon negative vodka using technology that actually takes 
carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, um, which we need more brands that are carbon negative. Right. The storytelling around this brand is so rich and it's ongoing, consistent because of the technology, because of the product itself, but they are only at bars. You actually right. can't buy it. That's very hard. But that yep. it, it's hard, but it's also, if you have a unique story to tell, if it was a vodka brand that was just traditional and had a maybe had a unique note in it or something, right. we likely, we would not have taken it on. Right. It, that's just not right. in our wheelhouse. But also, it's just, that's, that's going to make the media storytelling opportunities almost none. Right. Or all in the trades, which are not going to help that right. brand. Whereas this one, there's a la- there's layers of stories to tell, yeah. ongoing in technology outlets, right. environmental. So the so the, an- the answer was yes and no because at the end of the day, it does as long as you have a point of sale. Right. It doesn't matter if it's at Wegmans or right. if it's at on your own Instagram. Right. Yeah, on your own <laughs> Instagram or your own website, right. we still have to tell that story. Right. It's just the objective is different. Right. So the objective for a brand like yours is we every story we tell has to convince the consumer to not go down the traditional sauce aisle and go to the refrigerated section to go pick up Allison's sauce, right? right? Um, and that 100% comes down to convincing them and having them lured into your story. Right. And that happens in the media, in earned media. Right. Um, you, it's hard Define to... Define that just for founders out there, sure. people listening. Earned is when people write about you. Yeah. yeah. With okay. no money involved. Right. So you pitch a story, they say, the editor says, this is great, I'm going to write about it, and they write it. Right. Or they discover you on their own and they proactively write it. But right. But any, anything that's written about you editorially, that is not paid for. Right. Okay. Um... And I guess the next sort of question is, like, if you were going back to your cookie brand again, do you do you do sort of a little bit of a prototyping around your target consumer or trying sure. to figure out, like, Molly is 29 and she works and then she has a side <laughs> gig and she needs to come home and make dinner quickly, but she doesn't feel like ordering takeout again, like... Would you do you go yeah. through that whole exercise I, yes. or no? Yeah, we do. I from luckily from our perspective, our brands have done that by the time they get to us. Right. Um, so we look at we actually review those together with them and sometimes make changes to what based on what we know. Right. But one hundred percent if if you're launching a brand you need to understand who is your consumer because right. how can you even know where they're how they're yeah. consuming media if you don't know who they are. We we've named them and <laughs> Oh, I've seen a lot of names. It's actually really (laughs) funny. I learned that because a friend of mine was an architect and she, this was like years and years ago, and she worked on a team where they were doing a development and the architect needed to do like a couple of one bedrooms that Mm -hmm. had bigger entertaining space or two bedrooms that had a smaller entertaining space, but a bigger kitchen. And so they made these little like, this is Harry or this is Harry and, you know, Jack or this is Harry, Jack. And, you know, and so I, it's, I've always thought it was kind of fun and funny, you know, to create these sort of fake people. Um, Okay. So going back to the pitching. Mm -hmm. So I've learned enough to know that just being like, Hey, fill in the blank writer at the wall street journal. Yeah. You might want to write about me and our company because here's our thing. That's not, going to usually get a response not necessarily i mean i um we we work a lot with small brands that don't have budgets for pr we have this program called office hours that a lot of like a lot of vcs do and and once um once a month or once a quarter or something like that on fridays we actually have um 
young entrepreneurs come in and they can get free PR advice. Oh, that's so cool. So I definitely want founders to advocate for themselves because right. what are you going to do? Wait five years until you have money right. for PR? No, that doesn't make sense. You have to get out there. And if you believe strongly enough in your brand, you're going to put yourself out there, right? right. And take the risk. Because what's the worst that can happen? They either say no or they don't write you back. Right. Not a big deal. I think it's a, just a function of like, I, you know, if I were just going to write to some random writer, I don't even know, do they do roundups? Do they do food? Do they, you know, so you have to do some So that's what you have research. to do in advance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So for founders who we talk to that aren't necessarily clients, but we're advising, you absolutely have to first think about, just isolate, like, don't overwhelm yourself. Say, what are the five or ten outlets that I'm most interested in? Because they are the places where the consumer that I've identified are consuming media. That I know they read these publications and engage with them, so I need to I need to be there. Right. So don't overwhelm yourself. Start with ten. Then go on those websites and go under your category. Go under the entrepreneurship categories if they exist. And try to find the writers who are writing about similar size brands Mm -hmm. or similar brands in general. So someone who's writing, if you look at their list of all the articles, who's writing about Target, Walmart, all these brands over and over. No, don't don't do that. (laughs) Someone else who's writing all about Google. Like there are reporters who literally only cover Google, who only cover publicly traded companies. Those are not the right people, right? Um, You want to look for people who are covering your... Uh, your colleagues. Right. Um, and and then read those stories. Read the tone. You want to make sure, wait, are they writing takedown pieces? Yeah. So no, maybe I don't. Are they really critical? Right. Um, so maybe that's not who I'm looking for. Maybe this publication isn't right for me yet. Maybe we're not mature enough yet. Right. So you really need to do that work. And when you send them, I mean, in general, is it, would you just, again, generally, is it better to sort of say, hi, this is me, or hi, you know, this is us and this is what's interesting about, you know, the market or this is what we've done, learned about the way people cook at home and mm-hmm. what they're looking for. Yeah, the f- I always say cut to the chase. Don't bury the lead. Okay. I'll say this. I say it to my team. I say it to founders who are going to pitch themselves. Just come out with it. Cut to the chase. Say, hi, I'm Melissa. I'm launching a cookie company. This is why <laughs> it's unique. Yeah. And interesting. I know the co- the cookie business is industry is however millions of dollars, but I think we're poised to disrupt it for right. whatever reason. And then well, can you, I send you samples? Yes. Can I send Or you can I come by and speak to you for 10 minutes and tell you all about what we're doing? Right. Amazing. Uh, that's it. Do you Literally. attach any sort of a one sheeter or should there be and do you include other things that people have written about you like should everyone sort of have like a little media kit at the ready to kind of attach or no no I kind of recommend keeping it simpler the better um you know, if I'm saying my cookies are unique because of the way we bake them, right? Maybe mm-hmm. I've invented a new way of baking. Maybe I attach a one sheet that explains the technology that I've created, right. you know? Yes. Um, so something to support the the reason why I'm, I'm writing to you. The, in the, the four sentences I just said, if you need something to support it, attach it. If you don't, then don't. Right. Okay. Okay. So let's move to events a little bit mm-hmm. because I have some questions. Sure. <laughs> so, you know... Um, I'm in the business. I mean, the it Haven's is your Kitchen <laughs> is a is primarily. I mean, we are a cooking school, but a significant mm-hmm. amount of the revenue comes from events. I have seen events. They were really they were pumping in like 2015, 2016. Then they just took a little bit of a hit, yep. and now they are back full swing. I think brands are recognizing that 
as much as they have relied on Instagram and Facebook, there is something about that in real life connection with real people engaging with their product and their brand story. Mm -hmm. And I think what we do really well is sort of take that story and turn it into an experience. So you're not having a wine and cheese party, no matter what your thing is. Matt, did you... No, you're good. Okay. <laughs> Matt just looked at me. I think, was it cheese? You like the word cheese? <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> um, so, you know, how do we take, all right, you want to talk about everybody needs three different, you know, different types of protein. Sure. How do we take that and like turn that into like an experience where editors and people not only like come, but mm-hmm. they stay? That being said, it's very hard sometimes for me to verbalize why do I want to have an LA launch party. Mm-hmm. Why do I want to have a class using the sauces? I don't know exactly. Like, I don't, I don't need everything to have like a very clear ROI. Mm-hmm. I'm not that kind. I'm not like a, I'm not that kind of a person. Yeah. I do know that there's something nice about the feeling of people being there. And yes, there's always a little bit of social, you know, boost that comes around it. Mm-hmm. Cause maybe someone has a lot of followers and they post or they do a story, but what is the overall goal? Would you say of these experiences and these events? Yeah. Well, you kind of almost answered it for yourself, but mm-hmm. you, I think a lot of people think ROI means dollars, money in the bank. Right. Whereas you have to think about ROI in a lot of different ways. Right. So for us, especially when our brands are saying we want to have an event, we ask them why. Our question right. is why, not okay. Right. Um, because we need to understand what are they, and they may not be able to express it almost the way you just did. Like, yeah. I don't care about this, but I, maybe they do have a social butt. So there are a few reasons to do events. If right. you're fine having an event where you're literally only getting social media buzz from whoever's there, whether they have, they're like me and have like 500 followers right. or someone who has 15,000 followers or a million, then that's a reason to have a party, but only if you're okay with that. And you're in a position to invest in that party knowing that that is what your return is, literally just social media. That's okay. There's no reason not to do that if that's, if If a founder feels great about that. Um, There's also uh, building relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, This could be with investors, strategic partners, could, and then obviously media. Um, and then you can also actually, you can get event coverage. That's another reason to do an event, but not as many of them are worth coverage unless they're celebrity driven. Right. So. And is it weird? Like, is it weird to invite media to kind of like an intimate event? Like, or is it for, cause it It depends. Like I'm always a little bit confused and even having, you know, quote, I hate the word influencer, but like people who have a lot of followers that have a lot of influence. Sure. I'm always like, I, I feel almost bad. I don't know. It's very weird. I have a very weird yeah, kind of relationship with it. Inviting media to an event, if it's something that's an experiential, interesting, very cool event that you're doing and you're inviting a lot of different stakeholders. So you're inviting right. potential investors, your friends and family. You should invite the media who've been good to you or that you're trying to build a relationship with. Right. So they can experience, have that experience of you and your brand. Okay. Um, but without the expectation of press coming out of it. And how do you make it clear to them that you're not expecting them to do, you know, I always feel like I don't want it to look like I'm like, you know, put us on your thing. 
you know, or right. is it just, I think just it's, get over it, it. Li- I, yeah, a little okay. bit of that, um, <laughs> yeah. which is fine. It's good instinct to care and to think about it more than once. But media, if, if you've already been interacting with them, whether they've covered you or not, this is another touch point. Right. So a lot of our brands who do have brick and mortar stores are constantly doing amazing content focused events at their locations. And if we think it's relevant to five or six editors, we'll invite them because it's just another way for them to interact with the brand and understand the brand is more than whatever the product is or whatever it is. Um, Does that mean we blast it to the entire media list that we've ever talked to about the brand? No. Right. But we think about it and say, here are the people that would actually benefit from this and have value out of it. Right. I do think, though, media, it has to be something truly experiential. If it's a simple cocktail party that is truly to just celebrate the fact that you've launched in L.A., I would likely say... We're not going to have just a simple cocktail party. I I can't imagine you would. (laughs) Sauce brunch. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I guess guess it goes back to two things. One is, is making sure that, you know, like you said, that that story that you identify very early on comes through mm-hmm. no matter what it just has to come through and you know we we think a lot about that yep. with you know if we're talking about how easy it is to get dinner on the table because of these things we're not going to have a cooking class with 85 steps in a exactly. recipe right exactly um but i think also it comes to and i've talked about this with other founders like just identifying the goal ahead of time mm-hmm. so that you have something to measure success against. Exactly. You know, for us, we we had two events um, and they're great people, but we ended up getting almost the identical guest list to the, to the two events. Sure. And so we've made a third event. One of the goals is to try to have a completely different group of people. Yes. Um, just to open ourselves up to more people and to have other, you know, other people. Well, you know. that is a, a huge part of doing anything in real life as right. an investment of time is exposing yourself to new people. I think it is important. Almost every event we do with brands, we still say, look, there are a small percentage of people that should be invited each time, right? right? And they may come every time, but that's yeah. okay because... They, this is a long-term yeah. relationship over time, and it's really important that you you keep that and maintain it. But the goal is to always have new people right. um, and build new relationships right. or get that person who hasn't quite understood what we've been trying to pitch. So if they came, they would really get it. Right. Um, so, you know, it isn't a success, in my opinion, if we have an event that we're running and it's the same media for the same brand right. twi- two Twice. times in a row. Yeah, that's how um, – right. It's just a lot of extra time and energy and effort yeah, and money. It's money. Um, okay. Last couple questions. What do you think companies miss um, at the beginning? And what do you wish every company that came to you had kind of settled before they come to you? Or what do you see when you're looking around and you're like, oh, brand, why? Like, why? You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I wish, well, first, I wish more brands came to us earlier. I think right. a lot of, a lot of people are starting to understand the importance of the comms role when they are developing their brand. Mm -hmm. So we are starting to get more brands come to us six months from market, maybe even longer than that, um, which is great. You want that seat at the table. 
when you're making decisions that far out because right. what you do and what you're bringing to market and the assets, the language, the tone is going to affect how well and how effective your PR team can be. Totally. Uh, and for and for so long, people did not understand that the importance of that right. and bringing it on earlier and really you know come and look for PR a month out from launch or three months out tops. But at three months out, you're pretty much baked. Right. Um, and so that, I think, does a disservice, not all the time, and, and it's certainly not a deal breaker, but I wish more founders were able to figure out a way to bring on the comms partner early on. Right. So when we do have someone come out that early, we actually charge more of a consulting fee, and it's typically just me right. or the VP of their division who's their ongoing consultant until six months out and then we turn you know it kind of turns on to the right. full service so um that would be my number one right thing that i wish more brands did um and i think again my something i've noticed um are is that a, i want more brands to work f and solely focus on themselves and look yeah. at with blinders on and build and create their brands without the influence of what's going on. Yeah. Because what worked for Warby Parker, no. right. Everlane, Bonobos, like all these brands right. is not going to work today. Well, I think one of the things that I read in one of the articles also, which is super interesting, like if I were a D2C brand, you'd have me at hello. Because the cost of that growth that they were able to see on Instagram and Facebook and like through digital is just... That cost of acquiring a consumer, I don't know, you probably know, it's probably quadrupled. It, it, I mean, it, it's unattainable. Like, right. So, at this point, spending all of that money on like hoping that, you know, your targets on Instagram and Facebook actually connect mm -hmm. with who you want to, as opposed to taking that money, putting it into like an agency like yours, it's kind of the same monthly spend, getting yeah. some great media. And then having those people, I mean, it just seems like yeah, a no-brainer to me. Yes, and I always talk about scale and efficiency. So mm -hmm. if you are investing in media relations, whether it's an internal hire or an agency or a freelancer, it doesn't really matter, and they're successful and they're getting your stories, A, so you get the impressions from when it runs, right? right? Yep. Um, then you should be amplifying it, obviously, with your... And it's as simple as literally your personal LinkedIn to your investors, to your partners, to your friends, your Twitter, Instagram, your companies, all of those. Right. Um, the more you make sure that people are engaging with your story, guess what? The outlet is now seeing it. Yep. So if they see a lot of um, activity, they're now going to boost it. They're going to put it back up on their homepage longer. Right. They're likely going to put it in a newsletter. They may tweet it. And they may Instagram it. So it, it only... Yep, benefits you good. so now yeah. and then the, and then there's even more benefit you take that story turn it into a quick ad right and for a third of what you would have paid before yep. you use it boost it we know media perform better yeah on facebook and instagram their endorsements right yep. from a third party so they perform better than your own owned branded content right so we're great Right. Yeah. So, so, Trust us. so it basically right. you have turned your agency or PR investment and you've scaled it and made right. it efficient um, versus, like you said, kind of throwing things at the wall on Facebook, hoping it right. works. Yeah. How do you, last question, how do you make, I feel like there's a little bit of fear on our part as the companies that the investment kind of peaks 
early. And so you're in a, you know, you're sort of in this year-long relationship with mm-hmm. a PR company. Your first couple months, everyone's very excited. You get a lot of action. How do you kind of avoid that little that little peak that yeah. people are, are concerned about? Yeah, I think um, you avoid it by choosing the right partner, truly. Um, right. Any of us can say to our blue in the face that we're good all the time, but it only comes down to the work. Look mm-hmm. at the work. Right. You know, if if you are looking at a case study of a current client of that per, of that agency or person or whomever, and you're you see consistent placements over right. a year, yeah, they feel and like they're, they're showing everywhere. it to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't fight that. Right. Um, if you see a case study and it's just around the launch of the brand and the mm-hmm. brand still exists and is still with them, that's a concern, yeah. right? Because you're like, well, is that all they want to show us? Because it's all that exists, right? And whatever came after it, is or not the so company great. ended up firing them, or after they're no the longer clients, right? right. <laughs> so. I think um, looking at from that perspective, yeah. um, and as much as <laughs> I, I'm always happy to give references from our clients. But our clients are busy. But I'm going to yeah. say it anyway. Um, and Jen's probably like kicking herself somewhere, or wanting to kick me. But ask for client references. Right. You know that. No, who better to tell you what their experience has yeah. been with the an agency or with a freelancer than the people who are paying them right then and there? Yeah. Um, ask them the questions of: Are you feeling like you're getting consistent coverage? Right. In, and if it is slow, how are they proactively combating that? Right. Are they t- bringing it to you and saying, hey, these pitches aren't sticking. People right. are not into it, even though we all love this angle. Right. Let's brainstorm some new ones. Yeah. You know, we're not perfect, but because of our relationships with our partners and the way we interact with them and also the way we track our own internal KPIs, we can foresee if we can tell there's a story that people are just not into right yeah, now. Yeah. We have to go back, but let's do it before it's the end of the month. Right. And our and we're looking at an empty report. That right. has never happened in the history of JBC because I've been the client. Right. And I have seen reports that just keep saying pending, 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 right. pending. She um, loves it. <laughs> right. <laughs> she loves it. And we're following up, right. you know? Yeah. And and that's um infuriating. Yes. So um you know, awesome. that's, it, it's, and you also hear that in the conversation you have with a potential partner is how do you actually deal with the harder times right. and when we don't have news to share? And if you hear anyone ever say, it's going to be harder to get press if you don't have news or something new coming out, yeah. I would probably continue looking for a partner. Right. They do say that a lot. They, they need something to be happening. I'm like, something can't always be happening. No, right? it's impossible. Um, when we look at brands that we're working with, we look at them holistically in the sense, is the brand in and of itself news? Right. Is the brand, because it exists, exciting enough and multi-layered enough between the founder, the product, what they're doing in their market that we can build interesting stories all right. the time? Right. And we pretend that every brand we work with has no news over a year. Right. Let's pretend they're not going to have anything to talk about. Yeah. So we really just have what's in front no, of that's us. that's great. Can we do it? And yeah. if we believe it and we see it from that brand they're the right partner for us that's our job right is to create news um because honestly anyone can get a news hit on something, something new. that's yep. new to yeah. market um so i think that's kind of where we've shown our expertise is ongoing yeah. consistent exposure of our brands very cool um despite what may be now like on. my wheels are turning and i'm like how do i make the budget to do this so you've been a really good guest because <laughs> a you've given us a lot of help but also now i'm like i gotta go rewrite my 
my 2020 budget. All right, Melissa, thank you so much you so for welcome. being here. This was so helpful. Um, how do people get to the office hours? Just what's the, yeah, yeah. If you go to our website, it's jenniferbet.com. So jenniferbett.com. We have a widget right on the homepage that you can sign up for our next, um, day of office hours. Amazing. Yeah. And you can also DM me as always, and I can, um, get you in touch. Yeah, of course. Fun. Um, all right, Matt, thank you. I, now I know you like cheese, so I might be bringing some cheese next time. But thank you for, as always, being the best engineer. You're right before the cheese show. You I know, know, I know, I know. You don't um, need to bring the cheese. They bring the do cheese. Do they bring cheese to the oh, cheese show? With, with some regularity. I mean, I feel like I've never gotten any cheese. Just I mean, the cheese gets unwrapped about halfway through the show. You'd have to sit. You'd yeah, have to, like, come that would, that would be rough. Okay. All right. Well, maybe they'll <laughs> save some next time. Um, thank you for listening to In the Sauce, and I'll be back next week with another episode. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Sherry Bayer, the host of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm thrilled to let you know about Host, Summit Plus Social a new conference for and about the hospitality industry, taking place Monday, January 27th, 2020, at the William Vale in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York City. Based on my all-in-the-industry show, HOST, which stands for Hospitality Operations, Services, and Technology, will bring behind-the-scenes talent in hospitality to the forefront in a live format, featuring guests from some of my most popular episodes, including Junie Porrent, Rita Jamey, Crystal Mobiani, J.J. Johnson, and Jeff Gordonier. Our event will include intimate panels, one-on-one interviews, industry news discussions, curated lunch conversations, and more. Plus, of course, we will have outstanding food and drink throughout the day, including an energizing closing reception. For more information and tickets, please go to allintheindustry.com. And also, please follow us at allindustry on Instagram and Twitter. I hope you will join us in celebrating our dynamic hospitality industry. Many thanks.